0: Hey everyone this is what' your pastor and tell you today I'm talking about Genesis 1 to 11 and how many scholars think that it should be considered separate from chapters 12 to 50 of the book of Genesis A lot of the content in this video is going to come from Dr. Martin Shields and his website Shields up where he uh, writes um, different articles about, you know, the Old Testament and the Bible. He's an Old Testament lecturer who did his dissertation on Kuhela Ecclesiastes, but he also did his master's thesis on Genesis, which I will be interviewing on in an upcoming video. The specific article is genre variation between Genesis 1-11 to and 12-50. to Now, here he starts. It is reasonably clear that the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob found in Chilterna Genesis 12-50 is presented as a historical narrative, regardless of one thinks about the actual historicity of the story. But what are we to make of Genesis 1-11? Would the original audience have understood these chapters in the same way as the later chapters? The question is relevant because if it is read as the same type of literature, then the events of the creation, fall, flood, and Tower of Babel would have been understood as historical narrative in the same way as the remainder of the book of Genesis. However, if the original audience recognized that Genesis 1 to 11 represented a different literary genre from the following chapters, then there are grounds for reading these earlier chapters in another way. They may, for example, function as some sort of Prehistory, which should not be treated as precisely historical as the latter accounts. Now it turns out there's a number of different significant. It turns out there are a number of significant differences between Genesis 1 to 11 and 12:50, or more precisely between Genesis 2, 4 11 to 26, 11:26, and Genesis 11:27, 50 to 26. It's just a lot easier to say Genesis 1 to 11 and 12 to 50 although there's that uh, genealogy at, right after the Tower of Babel story. Genesis is divided into sections headed by clauses introduced by the words toledoth." These are the generations of. Hence, there is a natural division in Genesis 11:27, but likewise, there are earlier and later divisions. Consequently, taken alone, this just tells us no more than that. If there is a change, then it is likely to be at Genesis 11:27. So so he's basically telling you why there's a break, and we choose this one right here. Now, the first reason he gives that we should break these sections up is because Genesis 1 to 11 is dominated by ideological stories mixed with genealogies. So essentially, this word means that it is the origination of a specific item or theme or act or whatever. Uh, So we have, and he also notes that some of the genealogies are ideological as well. So we have explanations for the origins of leadless snakes, painting childbirth, arduous toil to produce food, different languages, music, city, and so forth. By way of contrast, there's virtually none of this after Genesis 12. The second thing that he mentions is there's a significant difference in pace between Genesis 2.11 and 12.50. The latter chapters cover only four generations, perhaps only a couple of centuries, by way of contrast. The first 11 cover well over a thousand years and many generations. Next, the events of Genesis eleven have a cosmic scale, creation, uncreation, through the flood, scattering nations and languages. The subsequent events are the story of a single family which become a small nation. It's also worth noting that different genres can be signaled by quite subtle variations within the text. The points noted above could easily be more than sufficient indicators to the original audience to change their understanding of the text. In English, for example, the presence of four words can completely change a reader's understanding of a narrative. For example, just a place Just place "once upon a time" at the beginning of any text, and you'll see what I mean. And then he notes the implication of these observations is that we must beware of reading Genesis 1 to 11 as an unadorned historiography, and that there are indeed grounds for treating these chapters differently to that which follows. In addition,
1: yeah, I think that uh, for me personally, the best way—and I've shared this on the Disciple Dojo podcast—the best way to understand Genesis 1 through 11, as opposed to 12 through 50. Is the beginning voiceover in the Lord of the Rings movie? It began with the forging of the Great Ring, three to the Elves, seven to the Dwarves. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged in secret a Master Ring to control all others. Where you have tons of information and you have whole epochs and millennia worth of events that are happening in this place called Middle Earth, but that's not really what they're trying to do in that opening voiceover on Lord of the Rings. They're trying to get you to the point where the story with Bilbo, Frodo, and Gandalf will start making sense. And I think that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is doing with Israel, the covenant, and the, the descendants of Abraham.
0: And I will add that the text of Genesis 1 to 11 has other connections with Babylonian genre, tradition, or motive that just doesn't exist in the rest of the text. For example, the story of Genesis 1-11 to has huge similarities with the Enuma Elish. The story of Adam and Eve parallels the epic of Gilgamesh. As noted by Bruce Wells, the Babylonian temple practices were similar to what happens in the story of Adam and Eve, which is argued by scholars like Benjamin Kilgore, John Walton and many more that the Garden of Eden is some type of garden temple sanctuary. The Genesis 5 genealogies parallel the Sumerian kings list. The sons of God in Genesis 6 parallel with the Babylonian Apkallu. Noah's flood with Mes- Noah's flood with the Mesopotamian flood myths. The obvious mention of Nimrod from Babylon in Genesis 10 as well as in Genesis 11 the Tower of Babel I mean, Babel is literally an English translation for Babylon. Now, in addition, there is a semantic shift. So Genesis 1-11 is the story of how the world became corrupt. Then in Genesis 12, the mood completely changes. Abraham is the person who God calls to promise to make his descendants a great nation. Does this make us conclude that Genesis 1-11 is a genre like the Babylonian writings? Not necessarily. Does it make it myth itself? Not so fast. Does it mean Genesis 1 to 11 isn't historical narrative? Not necessarily either. Doesn't it mean it's a different genre? Possibly, but it isn't enough to conclude either way. What it does tell us is why scholars often break up these sections. It could also tell us that Genesis 1-11 is written by a different author or edited by a different author. It could also tell us that Genesis 1-11 is edited or authored by a different writer. And that's it for today. Make sure to like and subscribe as we'll be going over similar topics. This is What Your Pastor Didn't Tell You.